Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Sasha Sloan. She is the founder CEO of Archive Sunday, an international online retail platform, and she also earned the title of Miss Utah and will represent Utah at the 100th Miss America competition later this year. So I'm excited to hear more about Sasha and have her share her story and just give us lots of good information. So Sasha, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Hi. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited. Uh, I'm trying to think of other fun, interesting facts about myself. I'm from Utah. I'm born and raised in Salt Lake City. I grew up in kind of a granola family. So really outdoorsy, lots of like hiking and horseback riding and boating and surfing. And um, I got into the Miss Utah organization when I was a teenager And this last June, I finally won the job of Miss Utah. And so the last several months, I've been doing that full time and also preparing for the Miss America competition, which is in December. Awesome. So can you take us a little bit about what Miss America is and what this process has been like for you? Yeah. Yeah. So Miss America is really a unique program because it's a really old organization. It's turning 100 years old this year. And throughout the history of Miss America, the competition and the job and the title of Miss America have evolved many, many times. And so I would say back in the day, 100 years ago, it was more of a beauty pageant. It was kind of a bathing beauties tourist attraction in Atlantic City. And today the program has evolved to becoming a scholarship organization that's actually the number one provider of scholarship money to women in the world. And Miss America herself and any of the state title holders like Miss California or Miss Michigan or Miss Utah, they dedicate a full year of service to doing full-time social impact work in their community. And it's a really cool system where you get to like design your own service project and connect with community members. And so as someone that loves political science and as like a college student, I got into Miss America because it gives me money for college, you know, through scholarships, but then also kind of gives these young women a really unique leadership opportunity to serve as their, you know, Miss Greater Salt Lake or Miss Utah, whatever it is. And have you ever had any interest in the pageant side of things, even though it's not specifically a beauty pageant? Yeah. So... What I like about Miss America, there's four areas of competition. So there's interview and then on-stage questions slash social impact pitch, evening wear, which can be a suit or a dress or whatever you want that's kind of red carpet apparel, and talent. And as someone that grew up doing musical theater, I really loved having the opportunity to sing on stage, and I got a lot better at singing through competing in Miss America. And then also I was really into public speaking in high school. Like I was on the debate team and I did mock trial and model UN. And so what was really intriguing about the, like the competition, the pageant site itself was that you got to speak on stage. And for me doing an interview in front of a panel of judges or doing an onstage question, like that's the most fun part of Miss America to me. And so um, I definitely do like the actual competition side of things mostly because I get the chance to speak on stage. 
That's great. Now, can you talk about your service project? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the social impact initiative that I designed for my years Miss Utah and what I've been working on for the last several months is called Refugees Welcome. And essentially, my number one goal is to engage Utahns in welcoming refugees. And in order to do that, there's kind of a couple of different foundational levels. Number one, you need to educate people about what a refugee is, what the global migration crisis is, just kind of help them understand the legal jargon and the history and just clear up all the misconceptions about what it means to be a refugee. And then number two, I think, is to support all of the work that's being done to support refugees post-resettlement here in Utah. And so I've been working with different nonprofit organizations, like, for example, um, there's one called the Granite Education Foundation, which is the foundation that accompanies the school district that serves 70% of our state's refugees. And so um, working with them, we've been able to provide things like backpacks and meals and hygiene kits for um, children in these schools that might be a refugee, might be a different type of migrant, or just might be born and raised in Utah, but still struggle with having their needs met. So as Miss Utah, I'm kind of able to work on projects like that. Um, number one, to speak to Utahns about it, but then number two, to do everything that I can to support the work that's being done here. And was that always the project that you had been pitching throughout Miss America? It's, I actually ended up changing it once. So for the first several years of competing, like the program that I was working on was called Girls Empowered. Because I come from a family of five girls. I have a really boss lady mom. And working on building confidence in adolescent girls, that was really important to me. And I was able to do a lot of really cool projects. Like I coached for Girls on the Run. And I did this leadership symposium with the United Nations and their Girl Up Foundation. So I did a bunch of really cool work. But I found that the more research I did into the issue of like women's advocacy or you know, working to support adolescent girls around the world, all of the problems that I was trying to tackle, like things like sexual violence or not having access to education, all of those issues for young women became so much more severe or compounded if they were a migrant or if they were some type of a refugee or living in um, a temporary resettlement camp or something like that. And so it seemed like the more pressing issue was okay, what's being done for refugee girls and women? You know, who's, who's keeping an eye out for them? And so I think the more that I've researched and learned and served, and that's kind of one of the reasons I'm so glad it took me so many years to win Miss Utah, is that my service has changed. And I feel like I've focused in more and more on exactly the demographic that I, that I think um, I find the most pressing to discuss and serve right now, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So then what happens at the competition and post-competition? A lot of things. So the competition itself, it's crazy because you work so hard. You could work for years or months to make it to the Miss America stage. And then you're only actually competing for something like 20 minutes, probably total, if you go all the way. Because there's a, a 10 minute long interview with the judges. It's about 10 minutes long. And then you have your onstage question, your social impact pitch that maybe is only 90 seconds or shorter than that. At, at Miss Utah, it was only 30 seconds long. And then your talent is only 90 seconds. And 
I mean, that's that's kind of it. And so at Miss America, all 50 candidates for the job will do everything. So their talent, their interview, onstage questions, social impact pitch. And then on the final night of competition, they will cut down to a group of finalists, like maybe 10 or seven or 12 finalists. And the finalists will get to repeat the competition over again for a different panel of judges. And then that night they'll select Miss America. So that's, I'll, I'll fly out to Connecticut in December to go do that whole competition and then to do the finals night, which is on December 16th. And then after Miss America, for whoever wins, she then becomes Miss America for a year, which entails traveling sometimes like 20,000 miles a month around the country, promoting her social impact initiative, speaking on behalf of the organization, you know, just kind of doing the job of Miss America. And what I like about the program is that Miss America is different every single year because it completely depends on who won. So like, for example, right now, Miss America, her name is um, Camille Schreier. And she was actually the first Miss America to win with a science demonstration as her talent, which is so cool, right? She did this kind of elephant toothpaste demonstration. It was really, really awesome. And she's a pharmaceutical grad student right now. And so her year of service as Miss America was dedicated to teaching people about science and then also promoting her social impact initiative, which is Mind Your Meds. And it's about, um, you know, correct consumption of pharmaceutical products and disposing of your meds properly. And so that's what her year looks like. But whoever wins in December, the focus of the organization will shift and they'll work on her social impact for a year. And so it's it's really cool how the job changes every single year, depending on who wins and what they prioritize during their year. And it offers this super unique leadership opportunity to some young woman who then gets to lead this, you know, massive multi-million dollar organization. So it's cool. Yeah, it definitely sounds cool. So then what happens either after the year of being Miss America or for all of the candidates who don't get crowned Miss America? What then do people do with their social impact projects? Then you get to come back to your state and keep doing what you were doing before Miss America. I mean, as far as social impact goes, I think, at least for me and probably for everyone else competing, we do it because we really care about it. And so it's not about winning Miss America. It's about actually doing the stuff that you want to do in the state. So if I don't win in December, I'll come back to Utah and just keep doing exactly what I'm doing, speaking to students, traveling the state, working with organizational leaders, and just doing the work here in the state. And are you currently still in college? No, thank goodness. I would be a very stressed out girl if I was trying to do college right now, too. Um, I am taking a little hiatus from BYU, and I will finish my last semester after I pass on my Miss Utah crown. So next summer, I'll go back to school. But luckily, we've got it pared down to just online classes at this point, so it won't be too tough going back to school. And so on top of all of this, in the past year or so, you decided to start a business. So can you share how that journey has been? Yeah, absolutely. So for people that might be new, I started a business on the TikTok platform called Archive Sunday, and we make home apparel and clothing and wall decor that are based off of fantasy universes. And so I started 
that business last summer and started putting out content on TikTok, sort of documenting our small business journey. And then I got kind of more and more creative with really nerdy content on Harry Potter TikTok and Star Wars TikTok and Marvel TikTok. And so that business has just kind of grown and grown. And um, now during my years Miss Utah, I'm really lucky that my sister and my cousins have been helping run Archive Sunday for me while I've been off doing my Miss Utah stuff. And then I'll come back to running it full time and being involved um, after Miss Utah. And what was the inspiration for starting Archive Sunday? I have this podcast about entrepreneurship that I actually love to listen to. And it's called How I Built This um, by NPR. And it's Guy Raz who does the podcast. And I've always been fascinated by how people create kind of like unicorn startups, like startups that do really well from the jump. And I think that when the world was sort of shifting social media platforms over to TikTok, it was pretty clear to me that there weren't a lot of entrepreneurs that had been monetizing TikTok yet. Um, And like while everyone was watching like the Addison Rays and the Charlie D'Amelio's like explode and and go completely mainstream. I mean, Addison Rae is going to be an A-list celebrity now because of TikTok and While all of that was happening, I felt like so many businesses just weren't even making accounts. They just, they struggled to to catch up to this pivot as Gen Z kind of got tired of Instagram and is moving over to TikTok in video format. And so anyway, the, the, really the inspiration to start Archive was that I was looking for what is a business that you could start and advertise where the business model sort of hinges on video content in the fandom space. Um, and so I think that there's really an underserved customer and it's a female fan who's either a teenager or in her early twenties or even like an adult fan that wants fandom decor that, that gives them their favorite fantasy book feelings, but that is also like chic and stylish still, you know, and is not star Wars sheets for a 10 year old boy, you know, they, they want home decor that reflects the nerdy stuff that they're into. So those were kind of the things that I was thinking about in starting Archive Sunday. And we've experimented a lot. We've tried lots of different things. And the niche that we found that I really love is making collages. And um, I'm a photographer and a graphic designer. And so I had this kind of art background. And I think that has been my favorite thing is combining that art direction background with the business side of things to make a really, really unique product, which is our fandom collages. And how do the fandom collages work? So they come to you in a pack of 30 or 70 or 100 pieces, and they're all um, printed on 8.5 by 11 matte cardstock, super nice thick paper so they can be taken down and moved around. And they're a collection of images and photos. We only use things that we have the rights to that are either public domain or we've taken the photos ourselves. And when you put the whole collage all together, it evokes the feeling and aesthetic of different books or different movies. And it's not taking screenshots from films and it's not like pictures of actors' faces. It's more artistically done. And 
for me, I view it as kind of an expansionary work that it's sort of an aesthetic that's inspired by different movies and films because we have to be pretty careful how we tiptoe around copyright and we don't own any of these movies or films. We only own the images and then we make them sort of tailored in a stylish like and subtle enough way that if you know the fandom, you can look at the collage and go, oh yeah, I can definitely tell what that is supposed to represent. But if you don't know the film or you don't know the fandom, it probably just looks like nice, pretty colored pictures on your wall. So if you can't tell, I'm really passionate about the collages. I definitely love making them. Yeah, and it's it's a different artistic niche. So I think that's definitely understandable. Mm-hmm. So how has it been then having to take a step back because of Miss Utah? In some ways, I've liked having the break and I've liked enjoying, like, it's been fun to see what the team has done while I've been gone. I think there are days that I am excited to get back to it after Miss Utah, but I don't really miss it. Like, I'm I'm very, very happy doing what I'm doing. And I recognize that Miss Utah is a once in a lifetime opportunity, like competing at Miss America, competing at the 100th Miss America is a one in a million opportunity. So I'm just really enjoying what I'm doing with the competition and with Miss Utah right now. And archive will be there when I get done. Right, exactly. Now, what was it like that moment when you found out that you won Miss Utah? I was, I remember... I mean, obviously I did kind of a Kim Kardashian ugly cry. Like I was just so overcome with emotion. I mean, it was such a long journey to get there and it took so much belief in myself and like, and honestly vulnerability going after it again and again, even when it wasn't working out. And so that was just definitely a moment that I'll never forget. One thing I do remember though, is that my mouth went totally dry when they called my name. And so I was just standing there like mouth open, dry as a cotton ball. And then people were coming over to talk to me and I felt like I could barely even make words. I was like, I need some water. Like, I think my body just went into shock or something. And what is the community like, whether it's within Miss Utah or at the greater stage now with the other candidates for Miss America? Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing getting to know the other candidates. I think it's so rare, I think, to be in a group of women where you're all extremely driven, you're all extremely hardworking, just a group of boss ladies, and then to be in an environment where everyone is sort of hyping each other up and building each other up. Because Miss America is not super competitive in the way that like swimming would be competitive where one person has to be first and second and third miss america is so subjective and there's so many different ways that it could go i mean they in any miss america class there are 50 girls that could be miss america you know so i think i my experience has been that the environment really isn't as competitive as it is supportive and we just went out to orientation last week and i got to get to know the other Miss States a little bit better and get to know the other candidates. And it was honestly amazing. Like some of the funnest times of my life. We did a like dance party for the 100th anniversary gala and we had so much fun on the dance floor, like legendary times. So I just, I've loved getting to know the other young women. 
That's really great to hear that it is such a like collaborative sort of environment and it's not, oh, this is a competition and I must win. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's kind of a loneliness associated with being a Miss Utah or being a Miss California. Like it's just such a unique job and a unique experience that I think that's one of the best aspects of the competition is that you're all kind of in this lonely spot, but there is this one group of young women that are going through the same thing as you at the same time as you. And so I found so much comfort in talking to the other candidates. Like, for example, when we were flying back to the West Coast, a bunch of the West Coast title holders were all sort of on the same layover together in the Chicago airport. And so we all went to go get food and we were talking and it was so heartening because everyone was sharing sort of their insecurities and some of the challenges that they had been having during the year. And, you know, I said, I was like, there are days that I wake up and I do not feel like I look like a Miss Utah. Like I'll, I'll get ready for an appearance and look in the mirror and be like, oh my gosh, I, I don't look the part. And it was surprising, but heartening that everybody else felt the same way. And since we were all in it together, I think it just makes it so much more manageable to go through those challenges when there's other people that can relate. And what is it like since it's not a straight up beauty pageant to have sort of a pressure to be presentable and and hold those titles? So as of now, beauty is not a component of the score in Miss America at all. But my thought is as a political scientist, like as someone who has studied political campaigns and who wins and why, I think that putting thought into your appearance and your wardrobe and the way that you present yourself physically and your vocal intonation and just being aware of your physical appearance, I don't think is bad, like as, you know, as a woman or as a competitor. And so I honestly have really appreciated competing in Miss America because I feel like it's helped me find my professional style. And I'll be walking out of this year as Miss Utah with a wardrobe that I've had to sort of buy and curate that I can go translate to, you know, political broadcasting and I can wear those things on air or I can translate it into a corporate job and I have that wardrobe ready to go. And so I think that within Miss America, there's more pressure or expectation to have a very put together, polished appearance, but it's not about you know, fitting into a certain size of dress or having a certain style of makeup all the time. It's more just about looking professional, which I think regardless of your gender, regardless of how closely you're scrutinizing beauty, it's important to be put together and polished professionally. That definitely makes sense and was also very well said. I think it's one of those things that you hear Miss America and you think of Miss USA, which is completely separate. Completely different things. I mean, we, I love and respect Miss USA. It is a completely different competition though. It's, you know, I compare it to people. I tell them it's like the NFL and the NBA, like both athletes, you know, definitely some similarities in the type of women that compete, but completely different sports with completely different criteria for the competition. And have you gotten the chance to speak or work with the past Miss Utah winners? Yeah. 
actually one of the best parts of my journey to Miss Utah, I think, was being mentored by previous Miss Utahs, especially Jessie Craig. She was Miss Utah two years ago. And during her year as a title holder, I got to sit down with her a couple of times and go to lunch or, you know, spend time with her at events and and sort of linger after and pick her brain afterwards. And a lot of what I learned from Jesse, I think, has sort of set standard for what I'm trying to do during my year and has sort of guided how I go about things. And so I'm very, very appreciative from the mentorship that I got from her. And then Something else that's great about Miss America and Miss Utah is that it's a really tight-knit community. I mean, people call it pageant land or my pageant family often. You know, we don't, we don't like to say pageant because it's not a pageant, but um, that's been really incredible too that some of the women that have mentored me through my journey to Miss Utah have known me since I was 14 or 15 years old. And so now it's almost a decade later and you know, for example, Amy Rasmussen, she's the director for Miss Utah's Outstanding Teen. And she made my shoes for the Show Us Your Shoes Parade in Connecticut. And she sent me the other day my headshot for my very, very first time on the stage when I was, I think, 15 years old competing as a teen for the first time. And it's crazy because she's gotten to see me grow up and has been an influence for me for so many years. So it's it's been exciting. Yeah. And how has your family been about the Miss Utah competitions over and over again? Mm -hmm. It's funny because I come from the least likely family to do a pageant that you would ever meet. Like I have a mom that really does not believe in being superficial or being appearance focused. And I come from a musical theater family that's just totally not our wheelhouse. And when I initially got into competing in Miss America, they were so skeptical. And it took years, honestly, to get them to see the value. Because I think that those that have competed in Miss America or that have really studied the competition, I think they understand the impact that it has on young women. And they understand why it's so coveted to be a Miss America or Miss Utah and what that does for your career. But I don't think that my family understood it for the first, you know, years that I was competing. And they just kind of didn't understand, like, why are you chasing this? Is it about having a crown? Is it about validation? And like, sure, I mean, it was probably those two things too. But over the years, I think they've come to respect it a lot more and understand why I had such a fire lit under me to just pursue this goal. You know, I had kind of a full circle moment this last week. Um, my mom and dad have volunteered and been involved with um, the Rotary, the um, Rotary International for years. I think we hosted three Rotary Exchange students in our home while I was growing up. And my sister went on a Rotary Exchange and we've loved the organization for a long time. And this last week I got to speak to the Downtown Salt Lake Rotary Club and present to them the work that I've been doing with refugee advocacy and sort of, you know, my plan for the years Miss Utah. And it was really incredible getting to do that and have my parents be in the room. And I think for them to see for the first time, because they hadn't seen the presentation, you know, what I've been working on and how all of these years of effort are kind of finally coming to fruition. And I'm finally able to get into schools and give presentations and sort of some of these goals that I've had for years, it's finally happening. 
Um, so it's, it's been cool to see how my family's view towards Miss America has changed so much. That's really awesome. I want to detour a little bit because I want to hear about um, having Rotary Exchange students and what that was like growing up. Well, yeah. Yeah. We had three, um, Luna, Malena, and Carla. Carla was my favorite one. She was with us for the longest, I think for like six months. I love them all, but Carla, I just got to know the best because I was older. And she is from Mexico and we are still really close. She actually just had a baby and that was really cute. We all got to see her when she was pregnant and meet her cute husband. And um, it was awesome. My family very much values um, having an international component in your education. And so most of us have lived abroad or done study abroads. Most of us speak a second language. Um, my parents both speak Spanish and they actually put me in a Spanish immersion program all throughout my elementary school education. Um, and so we just really like being international and being involved with diplomacy and United Nations and that kind of stuff. So it was really, really cool to grow up with exchange students in the home. And I think it's one of the things that made me start think about things like migration and refugee advocacy at, at a pretty young age. Yeah, that definitely is a solid background for that. So are you still fluent in Spanish? Yeah, I am, but I am. I get so nervous about speaking in Spanish. I was actually at an event for September 11th, and they had a local camera crew for our local Spanish channel. And he pulled me aside and wanted to do sort of an interview project or like sit down and film something afterwards. And I was like, I'm down to do it. I'm definitely willing to do it, but just send me the questions beforehand so I can practice my Spanish a little bit before before we go on the air live, you know? So I, I do speak Spanish, but definitely not the best and definitely probably have a really bad accent. Well, and also not on live TV. Right. I'm like, that's pretty bold. Pretty bold. <laughs> And what have your international experiences been, either studying abroad or, or living somewhere else? Probably my favorite international experience was um, I was on the BYU Model United Nations team, and we went to a conference in Xi'an, China, and that was really cool. We got to go to Hong Kong and Shanghai, and at the conference, we were working on security council resolutions to sort of issues of national and international security with students from all around the world, like Russia and Germany and Beijing and from just all across the world. And that was really, really neat and probably the most immersive, cooperative experience that I've had internationally. My favorite trip that I've ever taken is my family went to go explore the Galapagos Islands down in Ecuador. And I love that because the Galapagos Islands were not exposed to humans until much later than on other continents and other places. And so the animals haven't learned to be afraid of predators because it's been you know, preserved ecologically. And so it literally feels like you're on a different planet or in a movie because the animals aren't afraid of you and they will walk right up to you. And it's just surreal. So the Galapagos Islands is my coolest place that I've ever traveled, and I would 10 out of 10 recommend it to anybody. And where are you hoping to go in the future? Mm. I'm trying to think. Ever since Miss Utah, travel has been the last thing on my mind, and I haven't even thought about what's on my bucket list. 
well, once the world goes back to normal, and if we ever get past this uh, panini, I would love to go to New Zealand. That's probably on the top of my bucket list. So plan to future go to New Zealand. You've talked a little bit about a whole bunch of things in terms of policy, Model UN, lots of different interests, but then you've got the um, the Refugees Welcome Initiative, you've got the Archive Sunday, you've got so many things going on. What is it that you hope to do full time in the future? That is a million dollar question. <laughs> And honestly, it's sometimes been challenging in my Miss America paperwork to sort of boil down all my career aspirations into one line. I would love to publish a book that's on the top of my professional bucket list. I have wanted ever since I was a little kid to be a New York Times bestselling author. I heard that when I was a little kid and just locked onto it that that is what I want to do in my life. And when I was like 12, I became a little disciple of Brandon Sanderson, who is a fantasy writer here in Utah. And I went with my little blue laptop to his fantasy writing class and was like taking notes at BYU when I was like 12. So top of my bucket list is publish a book. But then I would love to get a master's degree eventually in film and media. And I want to get really good at doing video and really good at doing other kinds of content creation. I think after my years, Miss Utah, I'll go back to doing content full-time on TikTok and on YouTube and running Archive Sunday, but I want to challenge myself and I want to get better. And I want to get to the point that I'm making fan films that are really beautiful and really well done. And I also want to use my platform and continue to speak out on political issues and different advocacy issues. And so I think post Miss Utah, after I'm able to leave that Miss America world where I'm not able to speak my opinions quite so freely, you know, because I'm bound by my candidate contract, I think then I will transition my social media to being more political. Maybe I'd like to own my own broadcasting company someday. I would probably be happy to go work for a network and do political analytics, you know, on TV somewhere. So I'm pretty wide open on, in my career because I know that a lot of different things could happen, but most excited to get to writing a book and get back to making content full time. And it sounds like you have lots of options, which is always a good place to be. in. <laughs> I also, I just like a lot of things and I have a lot of passions and it used to be something that I was kind of embarrassed of about myself. And I felt like I needed to just whittle it down to one or two things. And the truth is I love doing lots of things and having lots of passions. So I think I'm just going to chase them all um, until whatever end. And do you know what the book is going to be about? I do, actually. I do. Yeah. I haven't really ever talked about it to anybody, to be honest. I don't think even a soul knows, not my mom, not my boyfriend, not one single soul. But I do. I, <laughs> um, I've been working on a concept since I was like 15, probably, is when I started my first draft, first rendition. And so that'll be the first work that I'll try to go take to agents um, after my year as Miss Utah. Oh, but then before that, I'm going to release the Noble House of Black, the fan fiction novel um, online. And I'll probably put it on Wattpad or AO3 or on my website, but I'll get House of Black out to the world um, for the fans that watch the series and they want to read it. And then after that, I'll go to sort of my own original work. And can you 
share the genre that this original work would be or would that be too much to share? No, totally. It's going to be YA. I like YA. I am not brave enough to write anything adult or spicy. And so I'm not going to go that way. I am a fade to black YA type of girl. And so that's what I'll be venturing into. And not necessarily specifically like the book you're writing, but what kind Mm of YA do you like? Because I feel like there's so many different options for YA. Mm -hmm. I really love stories about family dynamics. Like I, that's one of the reasons that Game of Thrones is so compelling to me is the family dynamics amongst the Stark family. And I love Little Women. That's what has made writing Noble House of Black really fun for me is exploring the relationships between the sisters and between the cousins. And so I would love to do YA that has romance, that has magic, that has all the cool things, but then has complex family dynamics as well. Because I think that's my favorite niche to write about. And I think I also love enemies to lovers. I think that'll always be a theme in my writing. And I think I also love the sort of morally gray protagonist or sort of the anti-hero. Like I love Kylo Ren. I think he's such a well-done character. I love Anakin Skywalker. So that kind of, you know, maybe tortured soul. um, I love writing about those kind of characters. And what is the thing that you keep mentioning, the the House oh. of Black? Oh, yeah, yeah. So the Noble House of Black is a series that I do on TikTok. And that's probably, probably 30% of my following on TikTok is there for this series called the Noble House of Black. And it's a fictional interpretation of Harry Potter that's written as a prequel that takes place in the 1970s. So it's the characters that are adults and the parents in Harry Potter. It's the story of their experience as young adults in the first Wizarding War. And why did you decide to share that on TikTok? That, it definitely happened accidentally during the Draco talk trend going on on TikTok. And I have a sister and a cousin that are both professional performers. And they were both back in Salt Lake City quarantining during the pandemic. And so I had the idea to just do a fun little project, filming a little skit with the three of us. And it turned out to be so much fun to do with our whole family that we just started making more and more. And now it has snowballed into a whole little series called The Noble House of Black. And would you say that Harry Potter is like your favorite fandom? I would say I definitely know the most about Harry Potter. I really love Star Wars too. And I love Disney, uh, but Harry Potter was my childhood. So it's probably my first love and my last love. And because it's Harry Potter, what house are you in? Oh, I am definitely a Slytherin. Definitely a Slytherin. (laughs) And I feel like more and more nowadays, there is less of a bad connotation for Slytherin. So when you first identified as Slytherin, was there any internal... Like, I shouldn't be in the quote-unquote bad house. I think not to get too analytical into my psychology, but I have actually really learned to embrace my Slytherin as I have come to embrace more of my masculine energy, if that makes sense. And like, let me, let me explain, like, I'm, I'm a pretty feminine girl. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously I'm doing Miss Utah, right? Like I'm not 
um, you know, not the least feminine person in the room, but I came out into this world pretty bossy and big girl boss energy, big leadership energy from like kindergarten, you know, like I, during kindergarten, I remember ordering my friends to play Sailor Moon with me and I was going to be Sailor Moon and they were going to be my minions. <laughs> like I came out a leader and as a kid, you know, I got teased and picked on so much in elementary school, especially by boys that would say that I was bossy. And I, I got called bossy so much as a little kid. And it really grates on your confidence, I think, if you're a little girl. And as a woman, I can now look at those same traits in a different little girl and I go, no, you're not bossy. You're a leader. You are a born leader. Like I was elected student body president of my elementary school. And then I was elected class president in high school. Like I, I came out a leader and kind of a mover and a shaker. And that's something that I like about Slytherin is that they embrace that ambitious energy, that cunning competitive energy, because it was something that I didn't like about myself for so many years. And now I just completely embrace it. Like, yeah, I'm a Slytherin. I am definitely a boss. I go after my goals. And um, it's not something that I tried not to be ashamed of anymore because that was really hard for me when I was a kid. That's really great to hear how you were able to see this negative thing from when you were a kid and now you've turned that into a much better energy. Thank you. That's so nice of you. Of course. So I think I'm going to start to wrap things up. Now at the end with all of my guests, I do ask a random question and okay. it, it doesn't have, it. it doesn't have to do with anything we've talked about. So my question for you is now if you don't want to have kids, that's completely fine. But in a world where maybe you do want kids, would you mm -hmm. rather meet your ancestors that you never met or future descendants that you would never meet? Oh, psh, ancestors, for sure. For sure, ancestors. I feel like the generations before us were so much cooler. They were so much more hardcore. I am so soft in comparison to my pioneer ancestors. So Definitely, I would talk to them and get all of their advice. All right, that brings this episode to a close. I'll, of course, be leaving Sasha's information in the description. So her personal website, along with her handles to TikTok and Instagram, which both are Sasha E. Sloan. So those will be direct links in the description and of course then up on our website and all of our social medias on the website as well. So feel free to go follow those pages. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And if you would like to be a guest, I would love to have you. I love hearing new stories and getting lots of different perspectives. So feel free to send me an email. That information is in the description as well, along with information for how you can support this podcast monetarily. So thank you so much, Sasha, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next week. Bye. See ya.